Welcome to the 40th episode of Delika, a podcast between two friends about the latest in politics, society, and feminism in Indonesia and the world. I'm Stephanie Tankilisan. And I'm Sweden Lee. And this is our first episode back in 2018, and we're going to go straight away and hit a hard topic. It is a little bit late, but we want to take some time to discuss the Me Too movement and our take about why the Me Too movement isn't really happening in Indonesia yet. Mm-hmm. And I think for both of us, it has taken a little bit of time to really process through what's been happening. Certainly for me, I've had to have time to process my role as a man in all of this. And we're excited to debate and talk about this movement and you know, really look at it not just from a hurrah, congratulations sense. But being critical and analytical about the positives and the shortcomings of the movement and how it bears the burden of emotional labor again to women. Mm-hmm. So, here's to it! So basically, the Me Too movement, for those who are not as familiar with it, is a hashtag campaign which actually started 10 years ago by Tarana Burke, mm-hmm. um, black woman activist, and not Alyssa Milano, the actress. And so it's basically a movement in which women um, say that they have been sexually assaulted, harassed, or abused. I myself posted this for my end. Um, but I didn't, like, some people chose to go really personal and, you know, talked about their experiences. I copped out and just, like, copy-pasted the status because I didn't feel like, um, I think this is, like, part of my criticism about the Me Too movement is, like, you're counting on women's labor and, like, unearthing of personal, potential, like, traumatic experiences in order to, like, Mm -hmm. gain a sympathy or empathy from men who are not aware that women are regularly sexually assaulted and harassed and so yeah like it wasn't surprising to me like the prevalence of like all of my friends been sexually assaulted and harassed and abused whereas i think sweetie and you have a different reaction to this yeah i mean first of all right like i'm a cisgendered straight man and i have not felt sexually harassed or abused in my life and my reaction to it has been that you know I grew up in a family of really strong women and I'm surrounded by strong women and incredible women who've shared their stories nothing as drastic as some of the cases we've heard but they've certainly shared you know everyday instances of sexual harassment even minute things that I think a lot of men just never considered is harassment Right, little interactions, microaggressions, and little exchanges that we all thought like. I think a lot of men had the impulse to be like, "Oh, that's just banter. That's just a joke, or whatever." Do you feel like you yourself have not noticed the prevalence of this issue? Like, you didn't realize how much, how many women in your life face this. I think before the Me Too movement emerged and there was a really strong spotlight on the situation i was never super cognizant about it like i knew it happened but i never i, I think i was aware at the theoretical level you know yeah but i, but I, I never were, thought it like you didn't associate names and faces of everybody you knew basically to 
instances like this. I mean, it's like if I'm hanging out with a female friend, like, I think beforehand, I wouldn't have thought, oh, somebody's glaring at them or like somebody's exchange with them could be construed as sexual harassment or anything like that. Right. But afterwards, now I'm much more cognizant about it. Right. And I'm trying my best to also keep my own actions in check in case it gets misconstrued, right? Do you feel like it has given you a new awareness, like a real practical awareness of it in a certain way? Totally. And I think part of it is as well as, you know, living in America right now and working in America right now, it has become a topic that I think any business and any organization that's trying to function in America has to talk about. And my company certainly talked about it. Huh, interesting. But like, for example, how about our like high school friends, you know, do you think they are aware of that? Like, have you had conversation with your male friends, like high school friends of this? Definitely and not. And has that shifted? Yeah, okay. So didn't really change things too for people who are not... Because I feel like you're in a subsection of men, feminist, who are already kind of aware of this issue. So my question would be like, for people who are less woke, like... Is this new? Is this this is help? Like you know? Uh, yeah, I think that's definitely true. I mean, in terms of exchanges with my male friends, especially the ones in Indonesia, right? They thought of it more as like, oh, this is something that's happening in Hollywood. What's going on? Instead of like, this is not a America specific, Hollywood specific right. issue. It is a pervasive issue right. across the world. But they never made that connection, right? Because they never, maybe they've never heard in popular culture, especially in Indonesia. Anything like a big sexual harassment movement um, that captured the imagination for the mainstream. So they never thought it happened in their kalangan, in their circles. Yeah, because I feel like uh, among our high school friends, only me and few other people posted it, right? Mm-hmm. But like we were also talking about, even if we're super, I think we are really close friends. Like, And I've never shared with you personally, like, mm-hmm. you know, the sexual assaults or harassment that happened to me, right? Um, it's just such an uncomfortable conversation to have with even people you are comfortable with. Uh, like I, I mean, I would be comfortable talking about it with my female friends, but it's just something you are not comfortable with discussing, even with your close male friends, because it's like you know that's something that they have no experience in, and you don't know what their reaction would be, and you don't know what the point of telling them would be, right? Like, what is the point? Mm-hmm. And what I've noticed is that after the Me Too movement happened and, you know, men started to get awareness of this, more awareness, I've learned that I had to sort of like adjust how I, Mm -hmm. you know, if somebody chooses to share those stories with me, I need to like do my job as an ally and like, no, sort of like do my part in hearing out her story. Like that has happened after the Me Too movement. And I did find myself like, this is uncomfortable, but I need to learn how to do this in order to become a better person. Yeah, this is an interesting thing to talk about. Like, I was going to ask you, like, how do you handle that? But I'm like, wait, I should be telling you how to handle that. Exactly. You should be because I don't know how to handle this, right? <laughs> and I'm trying to learn my best. Okay. So how should men handle women disclosing their sexual assault and harassment stories? First, never minimize or belittle their experience or dismiss it. Like, never say, like, that's just a compliment or that's just... Um, you know, like men being men. That's like the worst thing you can that's say. The worst. Um, never minimize their emotions. Just so it's be like, oh my god, that is terrible. That sucks. Men are trash. That is a great response. Yes. Be like, 
is there do you feel in any way still unsafe like do you is there anything you can do you know let me know if you ever need me to back you up or like i'm always here for you to call if you ever need a person to back you up Mm -hmm. that's also helpful because different women may want different things like ask them what they want or what they need from you and Mm -hmm. for me i would probably just want someone to empathize and say that that's a shitty situation and that you know like i know that that's something that i'm as a man i can't fully understand or or know what it feels like but i am here for you and here to bitch at that person and that that situation right you know i think that that's kind of like the bare bones of what people are looking for yeah and i think for a lot of men and certainly i think i had this perspective when i was younger and certainly at times i think i need to fight this perspective is that when women come to share these stories with men they're not looking looking for solutions yeah they're not looking for solutions they're not trying to be like oh who that you know are we trying to corroborate a situation as if like what's fact and what's not like i think a lot of men sort of oh what's the rational logical situation oh Oh, you shouldn't have done this or should, shouldn't have done that. It's- or you shouldn't have wore that skirt. You shouldn't have been dressing this way or that way. Like, yeah. oh, maybe next time you should go to the bathroom with your friends instead of going to the bathroom alone like a human being who needs to use the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, yeah, just never victim blame in any way or like come up with solutions because that generally ends up sounding victim blaming. Even if you don't intend it, like the, the situation cannot be fixed by you telling them how it should have been fixed. <laughs> Yes. Like, it's pointless. Yes. And yeah, I've definitely felt like I have to fight that urge because sometimes I do think like that. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's not, it's not about me trying to fix things. Yes. Right. That's not, it's not my narrative. So like in this instance, I think one criticism I have about the Me Too movement, which is it a hot take? I don't know. Um, It's been going on for three months. So is it still a hot take? No, it's not a hot take. But one criticism that I feel in general is that I'm kind of tired of women having to do, like in the Me Too movement, the emotional labor of unearthing their emotional distress and trauma in order to make men care about our realities. It like places the burden on women again to tell them, this is a problem. And it's always like about women pushing men to care about basic human decency and rights. And I'm just pretty much really done with that. I think that's why I didn't bother posting my own personal status because like I've already had my privacy violated. Why do I need to violate my own privacy again in order to make men who are less woke care? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like people should already be aware about this. And it shouldn't take me unearthing my secrets in order to make people care. That's my biggest problem with it. That's like what I wanted to have this episode and rant about because Mm -hmm. men are just so not aware of the prevalence of sexual assault and rape that they think that their hot take is original and would often explain sexual assault or rape to women who have been assaulted and raped before and 
they just need to sit their ass down, essentially. And that's like kind of, I guess, in a roundabout way, the problem with Me Too is like rehashing women's traumas in order to justify the fact that men should care about this. And like all of the emotional labor in this movement comes from women, right? Mm -hmm. And their unearthing of their most private and violated moments. I definitely agree with you in the sense that men have been letting women bear the emotional burden of this. It's almost disrespectful to be shocked, mm -hmm. right, at the gravity of the situation in this day and age. But at the same time, how do you think men could participate in this conversation? How do you think they can genuinely engage in this conversation that's not just like, oh, I'm shocked at this and let me hear you out? I think admitting complicity is a good one complicity in terms of like acknowledging there's a patriarchal system yes and like i think a male friend admitted on his facebook like in response to me to like i have been unaware that i've made women uncomfortable and i vow not to do that anymore and make a commitment to the woman in my life that i will try intervene should if i see this again and, and not even necessarily publicly it's just like just even like in conversation with women in their life mm -hmm. if men can be like hey um sweetian i think your friend x person is a complicit regular person who like objectifies me can you have a conversation with him and i say yes i can and do that for yes you. <laughs> yes I mean, that's actually, that, that brings up a good point. I can guarantee you 100% any man who's both living and dead has in some way, shape or form done something that is harassment to a woman. Yeah. At the very least, made them uncomfortable and made them aware of the power dynamic, right? Because we are all benefiting, men are all benefiting from the patriarchal society. And I think acknowledging that, even if you've been the most careful and the most quote-unquote woke you've still done things in your past i've done things in my past you know like i've definitely done things that looking back i would be like that's that was pretty bad that you know th those are things that i should never do and i should never have treated women like that acknowledging that you know in as much as uh women sharing their me too stories their stories from like years past decades past men have to do that too and think about what are the things they've done in the past and be cognizant that you, you have to be aware that you've done these kind of things, that you don't come as a black slate into this conversation. should also talk about the lack of a me too movement in indonesia and asia mm -hmm. i think there has been kind of a resounding silence especially in indonesia i'm not sure why because i know certain literary figures are definitely creeps and rapists mm -hmm. and i think there are certain elements of pop culture that's also very like rapey know, yeah <laughs> super rapey and comments certainly made by high profile people in power like uh, ministers uh, politicians whatever I think part of it is this, like you said earlier, 
to confide to someone and to confide in the internet it's such a big emotional burden on women and i think in a more conservative society in asia it's harder for people to do that mm-hmm. and the backlash i feel like is certainly bigger oh yeah i mean i don't want to speak for women obviously i don't want to speak for women who have not spoken out in indonesia or in asia but I, I don't know. Do you think that's part of it? Like Maybe. And maybe they feel like they won't be taken seriously. So what's interesting, um, you know, the Me Too movement, at least in the West, has been going on for now three months and more. But only recently has there been stories about a potential Me Too moment in Asia, in China in particular. And it all happened because there was a Chinese academic by the name of Luo Cixi who wrote on Weibo, which is basically Chinese Twitter. So it has that big of a reach. She wrote about uh, her story about how she was sexually harassed by her professor at one of the most top-notch universities in Beijing, Beihang University, 12 years ago. And her story really got a lot of attention from Chinese netizens, and it got like 3 million views within a day. And shortly after, the university actually suspended the professor, and an investigation is underway. So everybody was like, wow, somebody shared their story, and tangible results and actions were actually taken. Yeah. Um, so people were like, oh, is this going to be a Me Too movement? At the same time, there were people who had reservations because they were saying that the academic law, CC, um, spoke out because she already knew the university was going to suspend the professor. So like, she knew that she can come out publicly. Mm. Can something more organic happen and really take down offenders? That's the big question. In China, where censorship is such a big issue and it's such a patriarchal society, can a movement really take you know, take off the ground. We don't know, right? And I think in a lot of societies in Asia, that's a big question too. Like, maybe one person can break through the crack, but can the movement sustain itself? It's difficult to say. And I think in Indonesia, it's the same thing. I think there's been a lot of great feminists who are, you know, uh, really fighting back against sexual harassment. But trying to get that momentum going is difficult. You know, they can't even pass the law against sexual violence last year. Yeah, that's true. I think we're just so far away from it being taken seriously that we're kind of afraid what will actually happen. Actually, on that note then, do you think in places like Indonesia and societies like a lot of Asian societies, is a Me Too movement less, potentially less productive than like other means of awareness raising? I don't think it's... I think it's just like we're not at the stage yet where we're at a critical mass. I mean, if all women would share their experiences, then, yeah, like, I think it would help. But I just don't think we're at a place where women feel comfortable talking about their experiences yet and feel like they're not going to be blamed for their experience. And as you said, it shouldn't be on the burden of women coming out in such difficult circumstances knowing that there's no critical mass like it is in the States right now. I feel like there is a critical mass in America and in the West. So they can mobilize. And in in Asia, it's much more difficult. So that's where we are. And I feel like that's why the Me Too movement hasn't really taken off in Indonesia because I don't think we're there yet. I've talked to some women in Indonesia who say that they were the jilbab, not necessarily for religious reasons, but so they will get less sexual harassment and assault in public transport not that that has deterred some men from harassing women in jilbabs or 
because that doesn't. Very surprising to hear that that's a tactic, right? Yeah. And then you you feel like, and I've definitely heard stories of women who, because they chose not to wear their jilbab, made themselves like a target for men. Yeah, and when they when a woman who doesn't wear a jilbab gets assaulted or harassed, they're like, oh, that's because you don't wear the jilbab. You deserve it. That's kind of the dynamic that goes on. Mm-hmm. And it's just really messed up. And before we get to a Me Too moment, I think we need to get to a moment where women are not blamed for being assaulted. Yeah. Or just trying to be themselves and be yeah, comfortable. Yeah, still really makes me... That's why I'm laughing because it's just so bad. Yeah. And I think journalism in Indonesia is still quite a patriarchal, like mostly male profession. Yeah. Which also doesn't help in investigations of who in media are and who in politics and media are rapists. Our conversation last year with uh, Febri, you know, she talked about how when she joined Tempo, right, like almost all of her colleagues were men in the investigation room. And like one of the most powerful journalism teams in in the country is still male dominated. So they're not going to think it's a priority and they're not going to have the same conversation with their colleagues where, you know, it's unearthed that a man serially harasses and assaults women in media. So I think that has to do with it. Twenty seventeen was the year that a women's march happened and a FemFest happened and there's gonna be another women's march in twenty eighteen. So I think it's gonna be hard work for everyone involved, men and women and everyone across the board, but keeping the momentum alive so that this conversation can no longer be ignored. It's gonna be important in Indonesia, as difficult as it is. We're hopeful that at some point we Indonesia will to have a Me Too movement or like a movement that doesn't bear the burden of saying Me Too to get people to care about sexual assault and harassment in Indonesia in some way. And maybe it might be a really random meme thing or a political joke thing because you don't know what will happen in Indonesia. And the what things will that actually... catch fire. <laughs> yeah. So here's to that. But there's still a lot of work to be done. We all need to work hard on it. So we really encourage people to get more involved in this new year. If you didn't make a new year's resolution, add more feminist activism on your to-do list. And I mean, if you only had one. <laughs> yep. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You can find more information and resources of whatever we talked about on our website, delica.id. Music credits to John Dealey, Lee Rosevere, and of course, Broke for Free. If you like what you hear and want to support us, please review our podcast on the Apple Podcast app or whatever app you use to listen to your podcast. And please share our podcast with your friends. It's the best way to spread the word about Dialogica. If you want to get more involved, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is dialogicapodcast at gmail.com or just shoot us a message on our Facebook page. You can also find us on Instagram, YouTube, SoundCloud, and our Twitter. Please follow us in these various platforms. Our Twitter handle is at dialogicapod. Also, follow me on Twitter. It's Steph Tank. 
That's S-T-E-P-H-T-A-N-G-K. Thank you again and see you guys next time. Bye.